This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to the year three debut episode of Rotowire's signature NHL hockey podcast. It's called Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Uh, friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. I am the Statsman. My co-host, as always, in the history of this pod is one AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJ Scholes24. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-2-4. AJ operates out of the head office of Rotowire in Madison, Wisconsin. I am ensconced in t- Toronto, hopefully the home of the, the next Stanley Cup champion. There, I got the dig in early. Oh, AJ. geez, you're already starting with it. <laughs> Holy moly. Give these people a break. Give them a few minutes to get used to this show. Come on, Paul. <laughs> well, we're both fired up, and that's why I came out with guns a-blazing today, AJ. It's great to be back for our third season. I can't wait to dig in. And just as we did last year, we're going to do a podcast in each of the next four weeks featuring one division at a time in the National Hockey League. And we're going to give you a chance to go through the depth charts with us. We're going to talk about uh, potential future free agents and the salary cap situations with each team. And just uh, also the, the way the teams line up with their forwards, defense, and goalie splits. So uh, I can't wait to dive into this, AJ, but I'll be remiss in, in not checking in with you and asking you how, how the house offseason went. Yeah, things are going good. Uh, it's been it's been busy. Uh, those of our listeners that frequent the RotoWire site know that we uh, recently redesigned everything. So uh, it's been a, a little bit busy uh, here at the headquarters. But you know, I think uh, I think the site looks great. I think it's a, a big improvement. Uh, maybe some of our listeners haven't jumped on yet. They were taking a break for the off season as well. So don't be shocked when you pull up rotowire.com. It's going to look a little different, but I think everything's kind of there in a better format, easier to find stuff overall. So, um, but yeah, it's been an exciting summer in that standpoint, but you know, before we kick off the show, as I always do, just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineups, fantasy hockey, or just hockey in general, you can tweet at us uh, and we'll uh, either answer your questions during the week. Sometimes we might try and save one, answer it during the show here off the top. So as Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow Paul, the Statsman at Statsman 22. So as we said off the top of the show, we're going to preview one division at a time. Today, we're going to start out west with the 
Pacific Division of the National Hockey League featuring the California teams and the Western Canadian teams for the most part, AJ. And the first one in terms of an alphabetical order look here is the Anaheim Ducks. This is a team that has been a perennial threat in and around the playoffs for the last several years, relying on a, on a core that's getting a little bit older as we see some of the ages creep up into the, the low 30s here. But there's still a lot of talent here. When we get through the, the forward complement and the defenses, you'll see that there's still a high name recognition at the top of the list in each of these cases. And we begin with a breakdown of the salary cap situation with this team. The Ducks are about $6.5 million under the cap maximum, uh, and they only have one player left to sign. That's Nick Ritchie, a useful depth forward guy who's not going to eat up all of that cap by any means, but I, a guy that I think is a key piece here because he represents some physicality that can also score uh, upwards of 30 to 40 points. And so they'll want to get him, him locked up before the season starts. And uh, beyond that, they don't have uh, too many issues in terms of contracts. Play, players playing out the last year of a uh, contract. There's about five names, but none of them are the big boys, except for maybe one Jacob Silverberg. He's currently on the books for a $3.75 million cap hit before c becoming a UFA next year. Beyond that, it's uh, fringe players like a new guy they signed, uh, Brian Gibbons, a depth forward, signed for a million bucks, but a UFA at the end of the year. And similarly, uh, Andre Suster, Corbinian Holzer, and Luke Shen on the defense will be in that boat too, as well as Ryan Miller, the veteran backup goalie. So the way this team lines up offensively, AJ, I'll go through the forward line combinations, and then I'll ask you to comment on who you think is worthy of a watch and maybe uh, an upgrade over last season's point totals in these in these ranks. But it begins with uh, Rickard, Raquel, Ryan Getzlaff, and Corey Perry on a formidable top line. Uh, they're projecting that Perry and Getzlaff are reunited again. They weren't for much of last season, so that'll be a situation to watch. And the second line features Adam Henrique as the center. Uh, Ryan Kessler's a guy who would have hold, held down that spot, but he's got injury issues that might keep him up for a sizable portion of the season. In any case, Henrique is a very solid number two guy. Andrew Cogliano, he of the former long consecutive games played streak, will be on the left side of that line, and the aforementioned Silverberg filling out the right side. So that's your top six. And then guys like Richie, Carter Rowney, who you know a little bit about from the Pittsburgh Penguins connection, and Andre Case, a guy that I think is worth uh, a look as, as a guy who could be primed for a bit of a breakout situation in Anaheim, round of the top three units. Beyond that, it's the fringe players like Kevin Roy, Brian Gibbons, Patrick Eves on the DL at the moment, Cali Casilla, and Troy Terry rounding out the offense here. I know we're going to get big numbers from uh, Ryan Getzlaff and Perry and Raquel and uh, the, the rest of the top six, but are there any guys here that you look for uh, in terms of possible breakout? And maybe among the top six, is anybody going any other way, uh, AJ, in terms of your proje projections? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think it's pretty straightforward with this team, to be perfectly honest with you. The, the top six are going to perform uh, and should all contribute in a lot of ways. I, th I think getting Kessler back is going to be huge for them. It's going to push, uh, you know, Rowney and Gibbons probably will end up splitting that fourth line center spot once Kessler is healthy. Um, it would be interesting to see what they do with Henrique and Kessler, whether they spread those guys out, maybe try and move one to the wing. Um, I think Patrick Eves is going to go unnoticed in a lot of drafts this year. Obviously, he lost all of last season um, with that illness that he had, dealing with the shoulder injury as well, but just recently played in a, a charity hockey game. Now, granted, that's not, you know, full speed contact, but I think I think he's going to be uh, overlooked. You know, he'll have that DL status. 
I, you know, people look at his stats from last year, hasn't played a ton recently, but even in the, the 20 games he played in the, the 16, 17 season, he got 14 points. So when he's in the lineup, uh, he can definitely contribute. So I think Patrick Eves is a little bit of a sleeper here. Uh, you go over to the defense. You've got, uh, you know, that top pairing is going to be much the same. Cam Fowler, Josh Manson, uh, Hampus Lindholm and Brandon Munter probably going to make out this, the second level where it gets interesting is what they do with some younger guys. They've got Marcus Pedersen and Andy Walensky. I think these two guys are actually going to be the ones who make up, uh, that third pairing. Now they're young players, um, but they're both on the last year of their entry level deals. And so they're going to be looking to make an impact and hopefully get paid after this season as well. Uh, Walensky, I think for sure is a lock how that affects the ice time for guys like Andre Schuster, Corbin Holzer, and Luke Shen remains to be seen. And I think that's a lot of the reason why those three guys are all on one-year deals, as you highlighted. I think they're here to fill in if the young guys struggle, to give those younger guys a break. But ultimately, I think the plan is to have those two younger guys take over full-time and send these other three packing once uh, you get to next season. So that's kind of how I see the defense breaking down. Do you see it any differently, Paul, or does it stack up much the same to you? It looks the same to me, but you know what? It's worth mentioning that in terms of Pedersen, they've got a guy with some good size. He's got to fill out a little bit, only 180 pounds on a six foot four frame. Not noted for his offense particularly, but that's what excites them about Andy Walensky. And so an interesting pairing here. Walensky is a guy who got 34 points in only 51 games for San Diego in the AHL last year. And I can see this guy filling a real niche if he can continue to score anywhere near at that level. He'll move up in the ranks and, and maybe push one of the top four guys. They've got some really good depth here at this position. So uh, it's a strength that remains with, with the Anaheim Ducks for sure. And the top four, there's name recognition all over the place. Of course, Montour, Manson made a bit of a breakthrough last season. We hope that they can continue the trajectory that they started on for the sake of the Anaheim Ducks. And I, I don't see why not. Quite frankly, they've, they've moved out a couple of other veterans to make room for these guys. So it's their time, and uh, it's look, looking like a seamless transition in terms of the quality and depth on the blue line for the Ducks. In terms of the goaltending situation, the familiar names of John Gibson and Ryan Miller make up the top two uh, netminders. Miller, a little bit long in the tooth as he's getting into the back uh, back part of his career no question this guy is 38 years old of course the best days are behind him but he was able to play 28 games last year for the Ducks and I don't know that they can rely on him for that many games he's had injury issues in his latter years so maybe that's why they picked up a guy like Jared Corot I know you like this guy out of the Detroit uh, system uh, AJ he's going to get a shot to compete for a spot here I think it's real and and he may be a goalie of the future kind of candidate as well because Gibson is for his part is is into the middle of his career they'll be looking for a successor maybe Corot is that guy he's going to get a chance here I think at some point well, I, I don't totally disagree that it feels like Gibson's been around forever, but uh, the guy's actually only 25. Uh, they just got him a big contract. He's locked in for years and years, but I think you're kind of on to something there. I think Miller gets the backup job this year uh, and will kind of compete with Coro. If there's injuries there, uh, Coro will step up. You're right. I do love everything he's done there. And I think the plan ultimately will be, again, as I said, with the defense next year, you're looking at Coro as the backup. 
kind of audition him really in those backup stints to see where they can ship him off after that. That's kind of how I see this playing out into the future for them because they've got John Gibson locked up. They've got him at a discount this season, 2.3 million. But next year, that big uh, 51, eight year, $51 million deal kicks in. I know start getting 6.4 a year. So that's kind of how I see that breaking out. Heading to the next team, as we do in in order here, you've got Arizona. I'll give a quick overview of the the cap situation here, and then I'll kick it over to you to talk about the (laughs) offense here. Uh, For the Yotes, as always, they are under the cap. Uh, They've got about $10 in space, and that's not including uh, potentially uh, another $10 almost $11 when they put uh, Dave Boland's contract and Marion Hose's contract on long-term IR. So this club has plenty of room to spend. Uh, they have most of the guys that they're going to use this year are already locked in. Uh, looking to the future, you do have uh, Richard Panic is going to need a deal. Uh, Nick Carson, Larson Krause, uh, Brandon Perlini even, Josh Archibald if they decide to keep him around, uh, Jakob Chisharin, Jordan Osterley, a ton of guys are looking at deals. And so I don't really see them spending a whole lot of uh, additional money uh, this year, just because they do have a bunch of uh, RFAs, a couple of UFAs to pay next season. But uh, as always, Arizona finds itself well under the cap here. Yeah. And you know what? This is not a team that's going to be taking those guys uh, on the long-term IR to make room. They needed those contracts to basically get above the floor, AJ. There are other teams like the Leafs, we'll talk about them in a few weeks, that spend the cap and then some, and then they have money on top of the LTIR. So they got some juggling to do in terms of their finances. Not so much in Arizona. They're just trying to get above the floor. And they picked up a couple of draft picks in, for for those two players as well in terms of Boland and Hosa to accommodate teams that were in a cap crunch that they will never see in Arizona. You mark my words, this team is going to be a team that doesn't spend anywhere near the t- cap uh, ceiling, but rather just works to get above the floor. And uh, one of the guys is going to hope to change that for them. Uh, they've made a, a really big deal in the offseason. Actually, it was before the uh, the meat of the offseason. It was Ale- Alex Galchenyuk coming in for Ty Domi's son, Max Domi. He was shipped out to Montreal. Galchenyuk's going to get a chance to play away from the headlines and the media crush in Montreal and relative anonymity in Arizona. I think it's going to be good for this kid. He's a really talented player, and I think he was just overwhelmed in Montreal. He's going to get a chance, though, to really uh, get more acclimatized to being a hockey player and not dealing with... uh, the extraneous stuff off the ice in Arizona. I think it's going to be good for his development, and he's going to get to play with a real pro at center in terms of Derek Stepan, who was a team leader uh, that they plucked out of New York, a really good acquisition there because he's a centerpiece of the offense and a real good guy on and off the ice to, for Galchenyuk to model himself after. And then they pair him up them up with Clayton Keller, uh, a really dynamic player who for a time was in the discussion for Rookie of the Year. He was very prolific in terms of scoring. He had a top-line role much of the season last year. No reason to assume that he will be otherwise this season. And, and that's a pretty formidable trio to start your lineup around. Then they've got uh, Panic, Dvorak, and Grabner. Grabner, another new face that they picked up to round out the top six. So uh, Christian Dvorak, an interesting guy at center, uh, a guy who played in the London uh, Knights OHL factory that's churned out so many players of quality. And this is another guy that fits that mold. I think that 
He's now in his third professional season. We should start to see some more dynamic uh, totals out of him. And uh, maybe he slots in as a guy who can reach the 50-point plateau. And if he does, he'll bring up the level of, of wingers Panic and Grabner in that regard. In terms of depth players, I like the pickup of Vinny Hinestrosa out of the Chicago situation. You know that that's been a factory for prolific players for a long time. He got to play with the, uh, some of the signature players in the NHL over there, and you hope that he brings that pedigree over to Arizona as well, and he'll be flanked by Fisher and Perlini on the wings there. Then the enigmatic part of the lineup com comes into play for me. Dylan Strom and uh, Merkley, these are two guys that, are, that were dynamic players in junior and uh, I really haven't figured it out at the NHL level I'm more concerned about Strom in this regard Merkley's a little bit younger and so you give him a little bit of time but Dylan Strom they really need to see something out of this guy because he was a third overall draft pick AJ and they're just not getting the bang for for the buck in terms of the profile that this kid has all the physical tools the size the stick handling ability scoring touch in junior it hasn't translated to the NHL schedule I wonder if it does, this guy should move up the ranks in terms of the depth chart very, very quickly here in Arizona. Yeah, I think what's most interesting about this lineup, uh, you know, the way it's uh, kind of playing out here is that you only have two guys on their forward grouping uh, that are 30 or more. Uh, a ton of young players. Uh, you're talking about uh, looks like probably at least six. Uh, you mentioned Merkley would make it seven, I believe. Uh, forwards here that are on entry level deals. So, uh, you know, that's a lot of the reason why they're not spending a lot of money. Um, and it's kind of a see what we have situation down there. I think all these guys are going to get a ton of, of ice time, uh, a ton of chances to kind of show and develop. Uh, and I think it's a good thing. I think they're finally, it feels like Arizona's starting to make good decisions and trend towards the right way. Now, I'm not ready to say, uh, that this is going to be the next Toronto Maple Leafs that kind of turn it around uh, with a bunch of young stars. Uh, they, I need to see a little bit more from all these guys, but it's trending in the right direction. Now, defensively, you've got a little more experience on this team. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Nicholas Jarmelson, who's going to pair up with Oliver Ekman Larson on that top uh, top pairing. Both those guys are, have plenty of experience kind of in the primes of their career right now. Uh, you've got uh, for the second pairing, Jakob Chisharin, who is uh, another guy on an entry level deal last year of that. So he's going to look to get paid next season. He'll pair up with Alex Goligoski, uh, who's one of their, you know, aging veterans. I, I use quotation marks on that. The guy's only 33. Um, so they'll make up the second pairing. And then from there, it'll be kind of interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, going to be Kevin Connington. Uh, Jason Demers and Jordan Osterley kind of all competing for that, uh, the, you know, remaining spots there. I don't really see any kind of younger guys that would step in into this group. I think that's primarily who's going to play there. Obviously, injuries could be a factor, but I think uh, those are kind of the seven guys that will compete for those six spots uh, throughout the season. Yeah, you made an interesting comment uh, about the the age of some of these guys on the blue line and the, uh, the the experience that they represent. There's four guys here that are over the age of 26 years old, so they've been around the loop a little bit. But the guy that intrigues me the most out of this group is Jordan Osterley. This guy came out, and he had a couple of streaks where he did score with some regularity, only producing 15 points on 55 games that I note last year. 
and a minus 11 in Chicago. This is a team that was going in the wrong direction. Uh, when you think about the Hawks and all the years of success, the last year was not one of them, clearly. But Osterley is a guy who showed well in, in spurts for the Blackhawks, and I think he has a lot of upside uh, for, for Arizona here and a guy that could be the flag bearer for the next wave in terms of the younger defensemen in this lineup. Jacob Chikrin, another former high draft pick. They're looking for him to find his, his groove in the third year as a pro. That third year it seems to be a magical uh, turning point for a lot of NHLers, AJ. And if uh, if the same holds for, for the, this former draft pick, they can expect a nice year out of him. He only had 14 points last year. I could see him doubling that to around 30 uh, with a full and regular shift. He uh, he did uh, come back nicely after a bit of a knee surgery issue uh, last season, so I expect him to uh, to really show more offensively. So there is some th- some hope in terms of some younger legs in the wings with Osterley and Chikrin behind four veterans. Uh, not a bad looking defense when I consider the the whole situation there. And behind them, a uh, bit of a head scratcher here when you look behind Antti Ranta, who did show well in terms of his his debut in Arizona last year talk about a goals against average that that jumps off the page only 2.24 goals against per game in uh, some 47 appearances last year an outstanding start for him but it's the backup goalie that had me scratching my head when I looked at this situation Darcy Kemper was signed in the offseason he's another one of these big body types AJ six foot five two fifteen he's 28 years old so he is a uh, kind of made his career as a backup goalie but boy he has had injury issues as well over the course of his time and so it makes me think do they need to look a little bit harder at Aiden Hill who is kind of another goalie of the future possibility here another big guy six foot six 202 pounds he had four games for the for the uh, Coyotes last year in the NHL but did hold down the Ford in Tucson with another sparkling goals against average of 2.28 in the Nets so uh, an interesting mix in the Nets for me and I wonder if Hill gets a more prominent role if he comes out of camp with a strong uh, showing well i think you hit the nail on the head uh a little uh teaser for our listeners here at some point uh, in the coming days here there'll be an article up on rotowire highlighting ahl guys who could make an impact this season one for each 30 uh one guy for each of the 31 teams and for arizona you will see aiden hill's name listed there uh i i know because i wrote this article um <laughs> And I think you you have uh, kind of spelled that out perfectly. Uh, Darcy Kemper deal has dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, Anti Ranta last year was only kind of the first year as an overall starter. So while uh, everything seems to be trending in the right direction, uh, things can still go sideways there. So I think Hill will probably spend a, a lot of the year in the minors, but uh, injuries or struggles by either of these other two guys. I think they'll definitely give him a look. You have to consider the fact that they traded for Ante Ranta and then they traded for Darcy Kemper last year, too, to fill out that backup spot. Uh, so these are two non-draft picked guys uh, that are coming in. And you look at the rest of the lineup, it tends a little bit more towards um, guys that they have, you know, that they're trying. It seems like they're trying to bring younger guys in that they've, you know, draft and develop. So um, Aiden Hill fits that that billing as a draft and develop guy if they're actually going to try and turn the corner here and go that route. So uh, interesting point that you made, and, and I definitely think you're on to something there. If I'm in a deeper league where it makes sense to kind of stash a guy like that, I might consider it. 
All right, so we're two down, six to go, and the Calgary Flames are up next. When you look at the salary cap situation over here, they've got several guys that are playing into a RFA or UFA status. That includes Sam Bennett, a, a youngster who started to show some uh, scoring productivity last year. Uh, they've got Curtis Lazar. I've got to say, flat out a disappointment since he's turned pro. I expected big things from a guy who was formerly the captain of Team Canada Juniors, and yet he hasn't shown anything. So you wonder where his career is headed, uh, although he retains that RFA status. Matthew Tachuk looks like a cornerstone player here, and he should be in line for a he healthy paid payday uh, as an RFA uh, some point during the course of this season. You'll see that deal get done. They need to do that. He's uh, a key player in, in the fortunes of this group. And Garnet Hathaway, a fringe player as well, uh, gets the UFA status. They signed him kind of as a filler, maybe a fourth line type. On the blue line, Brett Kulak, uh, $900,000 contract this year, turns into an RFA next year. Dalton Pru, uh, UFA at $800,000. And in net, the guy that won me that dollar bet that we showed earlier in the season, Mike Smith is a pending UFA, uh, playing out a $4.2 million contract. And uh, we'll talk about the goalie mix there. It's an interesting one for sure. But right off the top, we've got to talk about the forward depth. And it's considerable at the top end of this lineup, can, especially when you look at the fact that they brought in Lindholm and Neal. James Neal comes in to be a signature player on the top six here. He'll round out a, a group that begins with the top line in terms of Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Lindholm on that top unit. Elias Lindholm, a guy that had uh, a pretty good trajectory going in Carolina. I didn't really see this deal happening in terms of them giving up a, a signature forward there because I thought Carolina had some nice, nice depth going on along in the blue line, but they, they went ahead and moved him out, and he really fills the uh, need because it's been a bit of a revolving door uh, on the right wing of that top line with Gaudreau and Monaghan two of their the two best players on this enough offensive group you can look at both of them being almost around a point a game player this season so that's the company Lindholm is in and you might think that he projects a little bit lower than that in terms of scoring cap capacity but boy uh, a rising tide lifts all boats so you never know what uh, that might turn into the second line we talked about Tachuk being a signature player here and he'll be paired with Backlund My, uh, he, he's a formidable center too uh, I like his size I like his playmaking ability he had 45 points last year I expect a little bit of an uptick for him given the quality of the wingers that he's playing with there so uh, look for that situ situation to evolve Sam Bennett uh, is going to be looking at a, a new center as well in terms of Derek Ryan in there and Michael Frolik on the third line that's a that's pretty good depth and a pretty good looking third line really when you think about it uh, there there's more scoring there than than a lot of other teams will get out of their third units and then they round it out with some uh, depth types Zarnak, Lazar, I mentioned. Jankowski has shown well in spurts. Uh, he might be a guy that is ticketed for a bit of an uptick in terms of scoring. And they rounded out with Quine and Hathaway uh, filling in the ranks there. And uh, so some good depth at the forward position where for a team that's been known mostly as a defensive uh, defenseman factory. So uh, I think things are looking up for the Calgary Flames based on the mix that they have up front, uh, AJ. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, you know, I think the interesting uh, thing will be what what happens throughout the season with Lindholm and Neal. Uh, I could definitely see those two flipping periodically just to give different looks. Uh, you know, you could even see uh, maybe them ending up on the same line. Uh, you know, maybe they want to move 
uh, to chuck up with Gaudreau and Monahan or something. And so they do Lindholm, Neal, and Backstrom, or Backlund, rather. Uh, I think that'll kind of all uh, shift around a little bit. I think that's going to be fluid throughout the season. What I don't see happening is either one of those guys falling below the, the top six there. So for as far as fantasy owners go, I wouldn't worry about that at all. Um, it just could shuffle around a little bit. And I think that'll be just to give them different looks, different opportunities, uh, especially early at the season. But I definitely wouldn't panic at all there. Um, as far as the depth goes, I think you're on to something with Lazar. I, I have uh, I share your questions about him. I think Garnett Hathaway could earn uh, a spot there and take some serious minutes away from Lazar uh, and kind of compete for that spot. I think Jankowski it has the inside track uh, over over either of those guys. And so I think he'll be fine. I don't really worry about him. And I, I think that third line will probably stay the same through much of the season, you know, barring any sort of injury, uh, you know, situation coming up defensively. You know, you mentioned the trade uh, for for uh, Lindholm there. Along with that, they get Noah Hannafin. He's likely going to pair up with Hamannick, uh, who's coming off an injury. That'll be their second pairing. Giordano and Brody will be the top one. Brody, again, another guy dealing with an injury. Uh, for me, again, it gets interesting with this this third uh, grouping. You've got Michael Stone, Brett Kulak, and Dalton Prout all kind of competing for a spot. And I think Prout, uh, he's on a one-year deal here, uh, just kind of a, a prove-it contract, for, for lack of a better uh, term for it. Only saw four games last year with New Jersey, spent more time in the minors, uh, has kind of bounced around a little bit, was with Columbus. And I, I think he just really hasn't gotten a, a true shot the last couple of years, especially with New Jersey. I think he just never really had a chance to secure a spot. Um, so I could see him really competing for minutes. Now, in terms of fantasy, he's not really going to matter in that sense. He's more of a defensive guy. He's not an offensive player here. Um, but just know if you're looking at Kulak or Stone, those guys could sacrifice a few games here or there to Dalton Prout. Well, and for me, I did mention that Calgary was a team that was a defenseman factory for a number of years, but there's there's a few cracks in there, AJ, when I look at this depth. Considering uh, Giordano, their captain, he's he's on the back 40 of his career, age 34 years old, and he produced only 38 points. I'll say only 38 points because this guy's been a perennial threat for 50, and I could see him continuing a bit of a downturn unless the partnership with TJ Brody reignites him. Uh, certainly they've brought out the best in each other previously if that that possibility holds i think brody should be expected to produce much more than the 32 points that he compiled last year i can see him getting closer to 50 if he and giordano bring the best out of each other that they've done in the past but it's beyond that where they need to get something out of noah hannafin this guy was a top draft pick a couple of years ago in carolina and he has shown spurts but i don't see the consistency in his game i haven't seen it in in terms of his early part of his career and Travis Hamannick has been a bit of a disappointment, was a bit of a disappointment last year in his first go-around in Calgary. So a little bit of a concern for me and uh, too, a few too many question marks on that blue line. When you look at the top two guys, pairs, there's no answer in terms of uh, helping them offensively. When you look at Kulak, Stone, and Prout, those are defensive guy, defensive defensemen first and foremost with some size, which, uh, of course, is something that this team has always been about. But really, a few too many questions on that blue line that, that caused me a bit of a Spockian eyebrow. In terms of the goaltending mix, well, Mike Smith is responsible for the dollar bet that I won last year, a guy that solidified the goaltending situation. 
in Calgary. He'll be hard-pressed to repeat that at 36 years of age, getting a little long in the tooth and behind a defense that's more suspect than it's been in years. Those are challenges for him. But he's going to be assisted by a young guy that I think they're pinning their future on. And John Gillies, a very highly regarded goalie, another one of these big guys, six foot six, two hundred and twenty pounds, but a real good pedigree in him. And I think you can see him getting upwards of twenty starts this season, twenty-five maybe to take some of the load off of Smith, who needs to stay healthy for this team to compete anywhere. Behind them, there's a a third guy who. Uh, bears a mention and that's David Riddich he played 21 games last year for Calgary but I don't think he's the guy that they want to see develop more than Gillies here they albeit that's pretty good depth when you're talking about the number two and three hole two young guys that uh, may hold down the future of this goaltending situation for years yeah I think you're going to see quite a position battle here uh, between uh, Gillies and and, uh, Riddich for that backup spot I do agree I think Gillies will ultimately win out here Um, but I I think it's an open competition I'd be surprised if it's not I'd also be surprised if Mike Smith got another contract with Calgary after this season Uh, I think the only situation in which he does is if they really don't see uh, it developing in in these other two guys. I think uh, Smith will play out this last year of the deal, and then he'll be on his way. Uh, I mean, it's it's plausible if Calgary is out of it and not really competing for a spot that they would try and move him to maybe a team that needs uh, some shoring up uh, in the nets. It's it's certainly plausible. I'm not suggesting that it for sure will happen, but I don't really think he's in their long-term plans here. Uh, and so ultimately, I think he'll be there. If they're competitive, they'll, they'll obviously ride him as, as much as they can. Um, but I do think it'll be one of these two other guys uh, who comes out on top. And, and training camp is going to go a long way to figuring that out. Um, so that's kind of how I think that shakes out. Heading over to Edmonton, as far as cap situation goes, this is uh, a team that um, you know, really struggled last year comparatively, um, I think, to, to where we thought they could be uh, cap-wise. Obviously, Connor McDavid is eating up a huge chunk of that money at $12.5 million. They've still got just a hair under $4 million left, uh, and, and really uh, the only kind of person hanging out there is Darnell Nurse. Uh, he probably figures he's probably worth about what they have there. You look at the other defensemen they have under contract, Oscar Clefbrom, Adam Larson, Chris Russell, all those guys make him right around that $4 million mark. Um, but nurse said recently he was, uh, he had faith that they would find uh, a deal here. And so he's the only one they have to get under contract this year. Looking ahead to next season, you've got Tobias reader is going to need a new contract. Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, Ty Ratty, uh, Juju Kahar and then Pontus Aberg all are going to be restricted free agents. Uh, we'll see how that all shakes out. There's not a ton of money to go around here uh, when you've got McDavid eating up 12 and a half, Drysidel eating eight and a half, uh, and Milan Lucic hanging around for six million as well. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot of money tied up. Uh, and then I, I uh, didn't scroll down far enough here. You've got Cam Talbot. Uh, is going to be an unrestricted free agent after the season. I think if he struggles, they could, you know, decide to go another direction. This team has to be in, uh, they have a long time to do it, but they're in win now mode. If you have Connor McDavid, you are always going to be in win now mode. 
And so if Cam Talbot can't figure it out, can't get back to being the player he was two seasons ago, they may not bring him back after this year. So a uh, couple interesting situations uh, shaking out there uh, cap wise. And, and we'll see what they decide to do as far as all those RFAs heading into next season. And uh, uh, when you talk about McDavid, you always want to know who's playing on his wings. We project the following that it'll be Ryan Nugent Hopkins holding down one side and then the other side could be a bit of a revolving door. Ty Ratty is a guy to consider. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto is another guy who got a turn there as well in terms of the top uh, possibilities. Puyu Yarvi is another guy who factors into that circumstance, a very high pick when uh, he was picked a couple of seasons ago and a big body player who might really mesh well for with uh, McDavid and uh, Nugent Hopkins, who's a bit of a smaller type. So they might be opting for size and skill. They've got Puyarvi and Cassian. He's even another consideration on the right side. In terms of the rest of the lineup, Milan Lucic, you mentioned him. I, would, I think they would get rid of this guy if anybody called and said, yeah, we'd be, have an interest in him. That $6 million price tag, really a bit of an anvil right now for what they're getting out of the former Boston Bruins bruiser, who really hasn't found his groove uh, since moving to Edmonton. He did, it does project as a guy who should hit the 20-point mark, maybe approach 50 points total if he can hang on to the top six roll. But if he doesn't, those point totals should plummet considerably. Uh, there are options there. Toby Reader's a guy that they brought in. Uh, he uh, played uh, with some success in the top six in Arizona in the past and could be a guy that challenges Lucic for those top six minutes. Ryan Strom, the, the older brother of Dylan, is a guy who's a bit more of a defensive uh, specialist. Uh, won't push any of the top two guys at center and McDavid and Dreisaitl who've got those positions locked down but a pretty useful guy in the number three slot and then uh, same can be said for Kyle Brodziak one of the better fourth line centers around the NHL Drake Kajula is a play uh, power play guy that they've got in the depth of this roster as well I call the other guy pointless Aberg he's been a disappointment Pontus Aberg as far as I'm concerned as a pro and uh, Slepyshev Kyra and Upshaw round out the fourth forward compliment in, uh, in Edmonton but I think it's a high-end group here at the top that has some guys that are poised for big seasons McDavid and Dreisaitl will drive this team as, and drag them as far as they can go if these guys can stay healthy you can expect both of them to easily top the point per game mark uh, obviously for McDavid but Dreisaitl as well is a guy that I think can be a point of game guy and not too many teams can say that two point per game players as their first two centers. Well, I, I, I think, honestly, I, I think you're a little uh, misguided here on Pontus Aberg. Uh, this is a player that, that I personally have a lot of time for. Uh, spent three seasons playing in the AHL with uh, the Milwaukee. Uh, I knew we'd get a plug for Milwaukee in here before the show was out in the AHL ranks. Good for you. Uh, but in those three seasons, he played 199 games for the Admirals, racked up 126 points uh, with 72 of those coming uh, as goals. I think this guy just honestly hasn't gotten a, a full uh, real shot uh, with uh, with the Predators, who are a very deep team. It's understandable. The Nashville has a ton of guys, young guys, veterans that that really mix well. And so I, I'm not begrudging them at all. You look at the 16 games that Aberg played 
for uh, Edmonton last year, and he had eight points in those contests. That's not bad for a depth guy. I honestly think if given the opportunity, I think Aberg would not uh, would not shy away from taking over that top spot alongside McDavid and Nugent Hopkins. I think he could compete with Ratty for that spot. I could see him on the second line as well. I think this guy just needs to be given the opportunity, and hopefully in Edmonton uh, that will happen. So I actually am very high on him. And if it's uh, if I'm drafting for you in your leagues, I think this is a sleeper pick uh, that you can steal in a late round and he'll get a bigger assignment than kind of what he's, uh, you know, projected for right now. Uh, Defensively, you're looking at pretty much uh, not too much has changed for the Oilers in terms of this group here. Uh, Pairs up this way in general. You've got Darnell Nurse. If they can get him under contract, will be that I think that top pairing guy there. He'll uh, go with Adam Larson. You'll have Oscar Clefbaum and Chris Russell as the second group. And then I think you'll have Kevin Gravel uh, and and Matt Benning there. But uh, Jakob Jarabek will compete. Obviously, Andre Sakara, uh, if he's once he comes back, uh, will factor into this group as well. But he's not expected back until February. Uh, honestly, if, I, if I'm drafting uh, again here, I'm avoiding him entirely. I know he's got tremendous upside. But I would just avoid it and and hope that you can pick him up later uh, in the season once he gets healthy. Uh, I think Jakob Jarabek could compete here for a spot. Jason Garrison is sitting uh, here as well. Evan Bouchard. So there there are a ton of possibilities. This could be a very diverse group. I see it shaking up a bunch. Um, But ultimately, uh, I think those top four are probably secure. Nurse, Larson. Clefbaum and Russell, but uh, you know any one of these guys, I think, could take a shot uh, and jump in there and, and take on a bigger role this year. Well, you mentioned that they lose a lot when Sakara is out of the lineup, uh, projected to deal, be dealing with injuries for a bit of a, a time this season, at least. But the guy that uh, intrigues me the most in this group is Jason Garrison. He's a couple of years removed from being a power play specialist in Vancouver. AJ, if he can regain that form with the likes that they can trot out among the top forwards there and play with this guy he's got a cannon of a shot and really would be a a weapon that they can unleash in addition to the arsenal that they have up front so he's a guy that i think would be a right really nice depth option at the tail end of your draft you can snag him just to see if he does fit into the mix uh, with the extra uh, man advantage and and in a regular shift if he can hold down a a job there too could be a guy that uh, quickly moves up the ranks and gives them a bit of an offensive spark that might otherwise be lacking in terms of the goaltending mix, well, you did a pretty nice thumbtail on Cam Talbot uh, and, and the situation that he's facing. Al Montoya, a veteran uh, backup as well, factors into this mix. Uh, and, and also then Miko Koskinen uh, is a 30-year-old guy. They signed him to be depth insurance, I'll say, uh, out of the KHL. He's played there for a few years and uh, carved out a pretty nice niche there in terms of statistics that he compiled. You know, you can take these for what they're worth, but 29 appearances and a goals against average of 1.57. Those are ridiculous numbers, and uh, so they, they caused me to take a, a to stand up and take notice of, of what they've added there. If he can come anywhere close to that, uh, he'll push he'll push Talbot for playing time immediately. But uh, Cam Talbot's a guy, he's two, uh, a year removed from being the, a linchpin for the success that this team enjoyed before the tailspin last season. So you wonder which is the real Cam Talbot. They'll need him to step up if they want to be contenders in this division. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I do think that backup situation is going to be very interesting. See how it shakes out in in, in training camp here. Um, But it is Talbot's job to lose. Uh, I think he'll get every opportunity to kind of bounce back, put last year behind him. But uh, if it's if it's not working, uh, they may look for other options outside the organization. They may try and see if Montoya can put together one more uh, kind of strong season. You know, he's generally been more of a career backup, but um, ultimately I, th- I think he's a, a veteran presence that they could bring in. Uh, or, you know, as you said, they could give uh, Miko the look there and, and just roll with that. But it's all these guys are going to be on a short leash no matter who's in goal. Uh, Cause as I said, it's win now. I do want to just point out, I, I've left off Ethan bear uh, their young prospect. I think he'll spend most of the year uh, in the minors, but uh, could also another guy that could get a look on that blue line uh, as things shuffle around. And that brings us to uh, the next team that we want to look at, the Los Angeles Kings. This is the oldest average age of a roster in the NHL, AJ, and some of the high-end money that they spend here. I wonder if they're going to rue the day when they get to the end of contracts for guys like Kopitar, Kovalchuk, Dustin Brown and Jeff Carter if they don't already in a couple of those cases but they're spending a lot of money at the top end of this roster and then the younger tier comes in below that into Foley and Pearson uh, as key guys in the middle of that offense in terms of the UFAs and RFAs Nate Thompson a depth forward Sheldon Rempel Alex Iafalo, who fact, fact, figures to factor into the uh, center part of this offense, maybe a third-line guy. Adrian Kempe, similarly. They're two at the lower end of the salary spectrum. On the blue line, they're pretty much in good shape. They could use another player. They've got, actually, a couple roster spots open at this point. They've only got 21 players signed to professional contracts uh, that factor into the main part of this roster beyond the depth guys in the minor league component in that they've got uh, Peter Budai as a backup goalie he's there for a year but the guy they're looking for is Jack Campbell to step up in that regard we'll talk about that mix in a little bit let's talk about that forward uh, compliment first of all AJ the names are all familiar the new addition Ilya Kovalchuk comes back from the KHL and figures to step right into a top line role and they're penciling him in to play with Andre Kopitar on that top line it's the third member of that group Iafalo that might be a dark horse candidate a sleeper if you will if he can find a way to stay in that top unit he's going to return great value to those people who show faith in him I don't have that faith right now in, in, that, in that he did get the chance last year and kind of frittered it away so I'm looking to see if a guy like uh, Pearson or Clifford can step up into that uh, top line role. Carter and Brown, they're veterans. You know what you're going to get out of, out of them if they're healthy. Jeff Carter, still one of the top snipers uh, and gives them a really nice one-two, one-two punch behind Kopitar, one of the best all-around players in the game. Dustin Brown kind of revived his career a couple of seasons ago, AJ, and he looks to solidify and hold on to that top six role, uh, bumping Tyler Toffoli down to a third line role. That's a luxury here in terms of getting a guy like that as your third line winger. I think if he could find a way to play on the opposite wing, he might be a guy that challenges for the role on the Kopitar unit beside Kovalchuk. So that's the way I see the top three lines. Then it's depth guys like Lewis, Thompson, Brodzinski. Emerson Edom has been brought in on a 
player tryout uh, situation. So you wonder if he can uh, continue his career. He's got to show the physicality that uh, made him a star in junior and see if he can and parlay that into a full-time gig. But beyond that, uh, the, most of the names at the top end are familiar to us all because they're a little long in the tooth. And boy, you wonder if they got one more year in them collectively as a group or will we see a bit of a decline? Yeah, I, I think the issue with this team continues to be the same thing. We've kind of always said uh, last season you've got uh, a decent top six, uh, but there are some question marks there, guys that may or may not stick. Uh, Kopitar, Carter, Kovalchuk will be kind of the, the powerhouses here. Um, but after that, it just it gets so thin comparatively, uh, you know, I think for the rest of it. I think Emerson... Etam makes the team. Ultimately, I do think they'll give him a deal uh, and he'll stick around as kind of a depth forward option. He'll play, uh, I think, no more than 40 games for them, uh, kind of swapping in for other guys, filling in when injuries come up. But I just think there's just not a lot for me uh, on this team outside of Kopitar, Carter, and Kovalchuk. I think it's the same thing we said last year and, and we'll see how it plays out. Um, you know, Kovalchuk. Uh, obviously has the, the pedigree there, but, you know, hasn't played in the NHL in quite, quite a time. So we'll see, uh, how, how he readjusts, you know, he's, uh, the, a 35 year old Kovalchuk is very different from the, I think like 29 year old Kovalchuk <laughs> that left. Um, so we'll see what happens there, uh, on the blue line, things are a little more, uh, stable in my opinion. You've got Jake Muzzin, Drew Doughty making up that top pair, uh, Oscar Fattenberg, a little bit of an untested guy, but I think he has earned his spot with, you know, his performance last season Uh, played uh, 27 games. So didn't, didn't get a ton of action, but I think he'll be in there. Alec Martinez will pair up with him. Uh, The big one here is Dion Phaneuf. I really cannot understand why they brought him in uh, via trade. That contract is atrocious. I'm not even sure he's going to play that much. Uh, it looks like he'll pair up with Derek Forbud, who's uh, you know dealing with a little bit of a back injury, but it sounds like they're expecting him to be ready uh, for the season. But he's a question mark there. They've got Daniel Brickley, the youngster, um, who, again, is kind of another unknown, but I, I think he can factor. Now, I'm going to point out, uh, you know, Paul Ledoux is another young player who spent some time. He's kind of bounced up and down. Uh, the player I do want to highlight, though, is Sean Walker. Uh, ha- doesn't have any NHL games yet. Uh, spent his last season was his first year out of college. Uh, racked up 28 points in 64 games for AHL Ontario. Uh, was a point per game player in his final year at Bowling Green. Actually, final. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, point every other game. A half point per game player at Bowling Green the last two seasons. I think he can definitely compete for a spot here. Uh, and I could see him jumping into this group and, and making an impact this season. So uh, that's kind of the one unknown here that maybe you won't see on a lot of uh, spots. But I think Dion Phaneuf is just not uh, doing enough to really kind of hang in there. And so uh, we'll, we'll see. And then maybe they'll stick with him. But I am not sold on Dion Phaneuf playing a ton of games this season. You know what I like about this defense beyond the top pairing of Muzzin and Doughty is Martinez and Forbert. In those two guys, they got players that 
that have really good skill sets. Martinez is a pretty good power play guy. Forbert is a guy that has 100-plus hits in, and 100-plus and block shots. Jake Muzzin is another one of those defensemen that, that fits that category. Not too many teams have the luxury of two guys with that skill set uh, and those totals. So something on the defensive side of the puck to bear in mind for uh, leagues that uh, look after uh, your fantasy leagues that include those statistics. Drew Doughty still, uh, to my mind, one of the best players on the defensive side of the puck in hockey and really showed his commitment to the Kings by effectively signing the rest of his career away to play in Los Angeles when he could have had bigger money possibly going elsewhere around the league. But he's very happy in Los Angeles, signed the big deal, and so they've locked up uh, that uh, dandy defenseman there. And I think partnering with Jake Muzzin, that's one of the for- more formidable uh, first pairings. Dion Phaneuf as a third-line defenseman is a lot more tolerable for me uh, than maybe you implied. This might be a good spot for him. They're not expecting him to carry a big load and partnered with a guy of Forbert's defensive skills. That that gives Phaneuf a little bit more autonomy uh, to, to do what he does best, and that's the first pass out of the zone and uh, get the offense in gear. So I, I'm not as down on Phaneuf as you are. I think he's accurately slotted here. The money is a bit of a concern, obviously, but part of that uh, deal is being paid by other teams. So that's that's one luxury that they do uh, inherit with a uh, uh, discounted Dion Phaneuf, who's probably worth to them what they're paying him right now, a lot, a lot less than the $7 million cap hit that he has on the books. But uh, overall, I think this is a real strength in this group, but uh, a group of six defensemen, the likes of which there isn't around this division, and it really is is a bit of a tiebreaker when you're looking at measuring these teams against one another. For me, this this really gives Los Angeles a big edge over other, a lot of the other teams in this division. And rounding out the, this group in nets, the guy that benefits from that uh, strong defensive complement is Jonathan Quick, who is one of the finer goalies in hockey. He, uh, in his own right, and uh, an all, a perennial all-star candidate and a guy who is expected to hold down the lion's share of the load. But right behind him, they have Jack Campbell, a real uh, highly regarded goalie prospect who is ready to step up when that time comes, I think. And uh, he's a signature piece uh, going forward for this team as they transition when they uh, this wave of 30-somethings moves on. He'll be part of the group that takes the next chapter uh, writes the next chapter for the Los Angeles Kings, and I think he could really be a, a solid backup this year. He'll, he should play up to upwards of 25 games, take a bit of the load off of off of uh, their starter as they try to keep he- Quick healthy. He's been nagged by injuries over the last couple of seasons, and so you want to see him stay healthy. And they've got a good reserve in in Campbell for sure. Well, I'm going to let the contract do the talking on this one. Jack Campbell's deal for this season is a two-way deal. Uh, so he'll spend most of this season in, in the minors, I think, while Peter Budai fills up the back end. And then the second year of Campbell's contract is a one-way deal. So I think that's the writing on the wall there. <laughs> They'll let Campbell uh, you know, develop another year. Hey, sitting on the bench at a 26-year-old isn't going to do them any good. Yes, he could get 20 games, as you said, maybe even 25. But I think he's better off playing with Ontario, being the number one guy down there, getting used to playing in and out this season. They'll let Budai uh, fill out his one-year deal. And then next year, when they can't uh, send Campbell back and forth, he'll be the backup for him uh, next season. So that's how I see uh, them all shaking out here. Uh, Moving on, we're going to stick with California here and switch over to San Jose. Uh, Looking at that cap situation, they've got 4.3 in available space. 
they've got most of their contracts uh, locked up for this season, so they're pretty much set and ready to go uh, on that end. Uh, they've got, uh, I, I was a little surprised to see that they gave jumbo Joe 5 million for this year. Um, but obviously they think he's worth it. Uh, the biggest question mark heading into next season, and they have a ton of question marks, but the biggest is obviously Joe Pavelski. He'll be an unrestricted free agent, uh, next season. Now he he'll be 35 when he's trying to get that contract. So I would guess the six million he's making will probably be about what he gets. He'll probably try and get a little bit more. I'd be surprised if they bring Jumbo back uh, at forty next year, but maybe if he's willing to take less than that five million. From there, you've got Jonas Donskoy is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, you've got Tim Heed on the defense, another unrestricted free agent. I don't think they're too concerned there. As far as RFAs, you're looking at most of their depth uh, guys, Dylan Gambrell, Timo Meyer, uh, Maxime Lutinoff, Kevin LeBanc is uh, going to be an RFA next year, Barclay Goudreau, and then Joaquin Ryan on, on defense. So there's a lot of kind of contract questions waiting for next season they're pretty much set this year uh evander kane's locked in long term logan couture's long term uh so for the most part uh they're pretty much set contract wise and then in terms of the forward compliment well evander kane liked what he saw and they uh, san jose sharks really liked what they saw to him so it was a pretty easy bet that he would sign and commit himself to this organization he has done so and at 27 years of age maybe that maturity is kicking in right now and he's hoping to build on a season where he had 54 points last year i think there should be an uptick there and he should threaten the goalie 30 goal mark uh, if he plays regularly alongside of joe pavelski who figures to hold down the top line uh, center position junas donskoy another guy i expect to have a bit of an uptick if he gets top six minutes i'm projecting him to be one of the top two right wingers here aj and uh, on the second unit it's a similar situation where the strength is on the left wing and center when you got thomas hurdle and logan couture as left wing and center respectively the guy who's tending uh, expecting to benefit from that uh, partnership is kevin lebanc at 22 years of, of age he is coming off a season where he had 40 points last year, AJ, and I expect him to be a possible breakout candidate on the right wing of that particular unit. Certainly, both Donskoy and LeBanc are being counted on to fill out the top six uh, positions there, but they won't be guys that are drafted high in your leagues. Look at the situations they're playing with, though. Both these guys paired with uh, two guys that are really good quality, so uh, the sidekick theory kicks in for me. I'd be looking to grab at least one of these guys in drafts in the upcoming season, because beyond them it really tails off in terms of the depth com component of this lineup Timo Meyer is a guy who's had shots at a top six role but f against Kane and Hurdle I don't see him getting top six minutes there so he drops down to a third line role and maybe takes a bit of a downturn in terms of the point totals that he scored last year Chris Tierney and Melker Carlson round out the third unit then it's depth guys like Goudreau, Suomila and Sorensen that round out the top four scoring lines there in uh, San Jose. Yeah, I think one uh, kind of uh, sleeper kind of uh, player here is going to be Rudolph's Balser. Uh, he had a, a solid first uh, AHL season. I keep going back to the well on these AHL guys, but uh, okay. 48 points in 67 games. His uh, one season in the WHL, he had 77 points in 66 games. Uh, a fifth round pick. I, I'm a little surprised that that he fell that far for them. Uh, didn't have 
outstanding numbers uh, in in his native Norway. Or, or actually, he's Latvian. He was playing in Norway, but um, I, I think he. I'm a little surprised he fell that far, and I, I think he'll make an impact this season as well. I think he'll regularly challenge uh, Sorensen, Goudreau, Car- uh, even Carlson or, or Meyer for minutes here, and could uh, really factor into this team heading into this season defensively. Looks like Joakim Ryan is going to take over that Paul Martin role uh, as the defensive uh, stalwart playing with Brent Burns. I think he'll fill that out nicely. Then you've got uh, Mark Edward Vlasic and Justin Braun on that second line. Uh, and then I think really the third line will be pretty much set, in my opinion. I think you got Brendan Dillon and Dylan DeMello uh, filling out that third pairing. Tim Heat will kind of hang around to fill in for injuries, uh, but I don't expect to see him playing a whole lot. Uh, there's not a ton of surprises with this defensive group. Uh, it's it's much the same as it was last season. There's not really anybody, um, you know, trying to compete for for a spot here in in kind of the bottom guys. I think most of the players uh, they have in the system need to you know mature a little bit more. Maybe Michael Brodzinski is is one guy, but uh, other than that. I think you're pretty much going to see what you get for this blue line. Yeah, I think there's a cautionary tale to be told here in terms of Joaquin Ryan. People are going to see him partner with Brett Burns and say, oh, good. If he's playing with Burns, he's likely to get 40 points. Well, that's not his game at all, so don't be fooled by that. And he's more of a defensive conscience there. And Brett Burns, we saw him turn his his season uh, around last year and have the all-star caliber year that we expect from him year in, year out, after a bit of a half-season lull the year before. I think he's back to being the player that is a centerpiece to this team, and he's going to be carrying the flag defensively. And probably the the lone top-scoring prospect beyond him in this grouping is Justin Braun. You mentioned that the veteran component in the third pairing, we know what you're going to get from Dylan and DeMello is a defensive conscience there. Neither one of those guys expecting to be more than a 20 to 25 point player. So really the offensive uh, exploits will be carried by Burns and to a lesser extent Braun here. Don't be fooled by Ryan. As I said, that's a cautionary tale. And then in the nets behind this group, Martin Jones has emerged as one of the NHL's best goalies coming off a really solid season where he played 60 games. They expect him to carry a similar workload, but behind him, they've got a guy who developed quite well last year in Aaron Dell. You expect him to be in making about 25 appearances and really solidifying the goaltending situation there. If there's an injury concern, then Antoine Bebo could step up. He's a guy that got a lot of work in the AHL last season and came in, coming out of the Toronto situation, I know a little bit about him. You got a quality third option in the ranks there. So the goaltending's in very good hands, top to bottom for in San Jose, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's uh, any real question marks here either. Uh, it's it's Martin Jones all the way with Aaron Dell in relief, who who has shown really well. I think the the interesting thing will be um, what they decide to do with Dell uh, long term. I think he's a guy that's shown enough that they could maybe uh, you know trade him away. I'm not suggesting this season, but maybe ahead of next season, trade him away in the last year of his contract to another team that's looking. Uh, to restart uh, in goal. And I think Aaron Dell uh, has at least shown enough to get a look somewhere as a, as a number one net miner, similar to, to Philip Grubauer, anti Ranta. I think he'll find himself in similar situations. And I think maybe next year ahead of, ahead of the 1920 season, you'll see the sharks flip him somewhere for, for either spots that they need or, or depth chart. 
Very good. And now we go to the second last team, number seven of the eight that we're going to profile today, the Vancouver Canucks, a team that finally said goodbye to the Sedin Twins, and they have gone in a different direction, a bit of a youth kick here and, and a rebuild situation now underway in Vancouver. So don't expect them to be a team that competes for a playoff situation in my estimation. But uh, uh, the new look does have some exciting possibilities when you consider that the likes of Bo Horvat and Brock Besser at the top of this lineup. There are just a couple of guys to watch for. In terms of the salary cap situation, these guys have uh, spent $70 million. They've got about nine and a half left under the cap. They've actually signed more pro players than they need right now, so they'll be cutting down a couple of the lower-end guys. Maybe Brendan Leipzig and Brendan Gauntz uh, don't quite make the grade when you consider they've committed some money to some higher-end opportunities there. Uh, among the forwards and on the defense Alex Edler is a guy that has been uh, holding the fort as a signature defenseman here for years he's 32 years of age coming off a couple of seasons where he had dealt with injuries but last season was back to a little bit more of uh, better health and the scoring totals did reflect this for one of the league's better power play specialists he's due a new contract at the end of the year and I expect that the, if he can continue to deliver as a top four defenseman he'll get a, a new look there Michael Delzato a guy who's reinvented himself on the blue line here uh, finally got a full season out of him as well and so he's a guy that should be able to build on that and uh, needs a new contract as well Ben Hutton and Derek Pouliot two other veterans who are RFAs factor into the mix here as depth defensemen who are looking for deals Anders Nilsson the backup goalie is a potential UFA so not a critical circumstance because they've got Jakob Markstrom signed for this year and next at a very nice 3.6 million dollar cap hit so back to the offense here the frontliners, Louis Erickson, Bo Horvat, Brandon Sutter, uh, at the high end of the salary cap grade, all three of those guys factor in to the top three scoring lines here. Louis Erickson, uh, a holdover from the Sedin experiment that kind of failed. They are giving him another shot to be uh, the left winger of note on a first line with Horvat and Besser. That's a really nice situation for him because these are two of the signature players that Va Vancouver is really counting on to deliver the goods and guys that should step up with the extra minutes and power play time to build on the scoring totals that they had last year. Berchi is a guy that had fits and starts in terms of productivity. I like him as a potential 40 to 50 point player. Same can, goes for Grandlin on the other side. Marcus Grandlin is a guy who had only 12 points last year, but I expect in a top six circumstance that he'll have a chance to really build on those totals. Uh, a guy that's worth a, a very interesting look here, Elias Patterson is, is a guy who played in Vaxo, Sweden last year, had an outstanding season, and he's going to get a chance to be the number two center and kind of a dark horse pick uh, for the uninitiated, but he's going to get a long look in, in Vancouver when you consider Sutter is more of a third-line center and Beagle definitely a fourth-liner. They're looking for big things from Patterson, and he could be a sleeper that uh, explodes if he gets to play regularly with Grandel and Bershire all, or all season long, as I project. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, Pedersen is is going to be, uh, I think, a, a great player to take, especially in deeper leagues. Uh, but for me, I, I think his his um, profile is high enough that that you may not be able to get him as as necessarily a sleeper. If you are looking for a sleeper here, I think Adam Gaudet is the player to look at here. Um, is going to have to earn his spot here in uh, at the start of the season. It's not going to come easily for him. 
but uh, he had a solid uh, 60 point 30 goal campaign for Northeastern University last year in, in 38 games. Uh, overall career in, in college is uh, over a point per game player for his collegiate three year collegiate career played five games at the end of last season. I do think he's going to have to earn that spot. Uh, they obviously brought in Jay Beagle. Uh, Brandon Sutter is still there. They've got Tim Schaller as well, who could compete for a spot um, in that center position. Although, you know, he could also move to the wing. But uh, I think Adam Gaudet is my uh, kind of big sleeper here. But I agree. The youth movement is on here. Berchi, Horvat, and Besser are the, are the three guys that are going to drive this. You've still got a veteran in, in Louis Erickson to kind of help out. Um, but I, I think Vancouver's on the upswing, even though, uh, you know, it's the post Sedin era this year will have its growing pains, obviously, as some of these guys get adjusted. Um, but they've added some nice veterans, I think, that can help kind of guide some of these guys and get them set uh, for a long term, uh, you know, success here. Defensively, uh, it's it's not as uh, sh- shuffled around as kind of the, the forward situation is. You've got Alexander Adler with Troy Stetcher, who's, uh, I think, really developing into a nice blue line uh, prospect for them. Uh, isn't going to blow the doors off in terms of fantasy production here. Had a little bit of a drop off that sophomore slump. But this is a guy that can definitely reach the 20 point mark, in my opinion. Michael Delzato and Eric Gudbranson making up that second pairing. Uh, and then a number of guys that will compete for those last two spots. I think Ben Hutton is pretty much set uh, in his spot. The other one, Chris Tanev, Derek Pouliot, and Alex Biga are all going to kind of compete in that situation there. Um, so that's kind of uh, how I think the defense is going to shake out. I think Gudbranson's uh, another guy. Um, who isn't going to offer much if you're in a league that's solely based on points. But if you need those hits or those block shots uh, in an alternate kind of format, he's definitely a guy to look at as like a late pickup. As I said, he's only broken the 10-point the mark once in his career. So if you need offensive numbers, definitely stay away from Gutty. Uh, but those hits uh, had 212 hits in 2014. Uh, last year, 126. So he's definitely going to help out there. 81 blocks last year. Uh, so can help in certain formats. Uh, don't want to always focus on the goals and assist guys here because uh, we do have plenty of listeners playing in those alternate formats as well. And uh, I'll, I'll also echo your sentiments. I, I like the the fact that they've got a couple of offensive guys in Edler and Delzato, who for Delzato in particular, and I really feel good about this guy's ability to finally play a complete season and remind everybody that he does have a lot of offensive skills. And so these are two linchpins on the power play that units that give them uh, a really nice look uh, in that circumstance. And if they can still ha- stay healthy, you can expect both of them to be in that 30 to point, 40 point range as depth defensemen when you're building your team. But a guy that look to look forward at to down the road is Ole Uwalevi. You didn't mention him, but I will. He's worth a look in terms of depth formats. One of these days, he's going to put it all together. It takes a little while for some defensemen to, to reach the NHL uh, if they're developed in uh, a methodical manner. And I think that's the approach that uh, Vancouver's taken here. You'll leave. He was a high draft pick out of London's uh, factory. We talk about the junior uh, sensation that, that that franchise has been for the last several years. You'll leave. is one of the products there that I expect to show sooner rather than later. So if he gets a long look at camp, 
Don't be surprised if he factors into the top four even when he gets his game in order. This guy's a special talent, and he could be the next wave that kind of inherits the role as a linchpin uh, from Edler and Delzato down the road. Maybe the future is now for him. If, if you believe that, you'll stash him in the upcoming draft. In terms of the goalie depth, well, you're looking at Markstrom and Nilsson, as I mentioned in the breakdown, and then Thatcher Demko is another guy that, that uh, might factor into the mix. He got into a game last year and won it, but he did well in Utica. I'll get to the AHL before you do this time, AJ, <laughs> and point out that he had a fine season with a 244 goals against average. So the goaltending trio, again, one that uh, is not a red flag zone, really, when you think about it. Markstrom, another one of these top-end uh, guys that's a big guy, six foot six. Also, Anders Nilsson, six foot six. Both both the t- starters will fill out the net uh, more than most other goalies in the league. And the numbers that they produced were were not uh, not terrible. In Markstrom's case, a two seventy one goals against average in sixty appearances, proving that he could handle a big workload. That's a big uh, big. Uh, obstacle for some goalies to overcome but he's done it now and he might enter the league the season with much more confidence knowing that he can do it and he'll be asked to do it again he's going to face a lot of rubber on this team but a guy who showed well last year and will get every chance to prove it again yeah and i think for nilson this is a uh an audition year for for the other 30 teams in the league um he has never really been a a full-time starter he's you know with vancouver here this is his one, two, three, this fifth team already <laughs> um, started with the Islanders, Edmonton in there, St. Louis, a stop in Buffalo, now Vancouver. And so I think um, in his relief appearances, it's it's Jacob Markstrom's job 100 percent. But in his relief appearances, if he can show he doesn't even have to win games, to be honest with you, because I think people are going to see that the rest of the team is pretty young struggles. But if he can show things like, um, you know, good puck tracking, uh, you know, good movement, uh, positioning himself. Well, if he can show kind of these film, uh, you know, situations, this is a guy that may be playing uh, for that next deal in a new place, because I, I think Markstrom has the job locked up and I don't see them extending Nilsson beyond next year with Demko kind of sitting in the wing. So uh, a kind of a, an important year for him long term uh, for our next club. We had uh, to the not so new anymore Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, they're sitting with about eight and a half of cap room left and uh, aren't really going to need it uh, for they've pretty much got everything signed for this year. If they wanted to, uh, I don't think they'll use it, but if they wanted to, they still have that David Clarkson deal. They could kick him to long-term IR to free up another $5 million. So plenty of uh, spots here. And for everything that they talked about in the, you know, the offseason about John Tavares being the big fish, Vegas landed the next biggest fish in the pond, I think, with Paul Stastny here. And they get him at a reasonable price for a 32-year-old guy, $6.5 million. Uh, they've got him for three years. The biggest deal here uh, kind of pending for them is going to be William Carlson is going to be an RFA next season. Thomas Nosek and Alex Took are all going to be RFAs next season. You've got Oscar Lindbergh and Pierre-Edouard Belmarp heading towards uh, unrestricted free agency along with Ryan Carpenter. I don't really see them being totally motivated to keep those guys around, especially with a number of youngsters. Um, for this season, however, they do still have Shea Theodore 
as a uh, restricted free agent. And I think they're going to need to decide to pony up and they may have to pay him a little bit higher in light of Nate Schmidt getting suspended. I think that's an important factor to consider when you talk about Shea Theodore's, uh, you know, contract status here. Brad Hunt going to be a UFA next year. Derek Anglin going to be a UFA. They'll bring Anglin back if only for, you know, the the kind of city leadership aspect of it. Probably another $1.5 million for another year or two. Uh, that's kind of how I see it. And Nate Schmidt actually is going to be a UFA next year. So he's going to need to prove what he has in a very short order. Um, they have uh, they gave Flurry in a three-year extension, uh, so he's going to get uh, paid seven million for another three years starting next season. Behind him is where it gets interesting. You've got Malcolm Subban heading to restricted free agency. Uh, same goes for some of their other guys: Zachary Fukal, uh, Oscar Dansk is two years left. Uh, Max Maxime Lagasse going to be a restricted free agent. So there's a bunch of these RFAs. Uh, and a couple UFAs even that are showing up in some of their depth options, which is why I don't think they're going to spend a ton of the money uh, this season to save it up for next year. So a little bit lengthy explanation, but there's a lot going on with this team in terms of uh, the cap situation. And boy, did they have a lot of guys that emerged at forward. Certainly we knew Marchesol was this capable scorer from before he landed in the desert, but Willie Carlson exploded, and and really the Carol, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets have to rue the day that they made this guy available because he figures to be a centerpiece for this offense for a long time. They got a really nice one-two punch with him and Stastny in the middle. Uh, Riley Smith, of course, a capable scorer as well as Marjasol rounding out that top unit. Thomas Tatar was another guy that came along with a big ticket that they plucked out of the Detroit circumstance. He and Alex Took will surround Stastny on a second capable scoring line. The drop-off at center is a little bit uh, to Eric Halla as a third-line center. He was playing top six minutes at times last season, but he'll be thrust in a more appropriate third-line role between Willie Carrier and Thomas Nosek on the third line. Then they've got some death guys. I really like the toughness that Ryan Reeves brings in. Not too many teams go this route, so if teams want to get physical... Uh, Vegas has a bit of an edge as long as he's in the lineup. Cody Eakin, another guy who's been a bit of a power play specialist and top six guy in the past, shows you how deep that uh, group is at center. Then uh, they also have a guy like Cody Glass, a top prospect that we should see threatened for a position sooner rather than later. And if he does, I can see him sneaking up as high as third line minutes here in this mix. And then they've picked up... uh, uh, Daniel Carr out of the Montreal situation. This is a speedy guy who offers more uh, more skill on the wings and could be a depth player. He plays a feisty game. I like the game that he he brings together. Curtis McKenzie, a more rugged uh, type at the other wing position, so they can play it any way you like in in Vegas. A lot of depth, a lot of quality, as we saw emerge last season. But with the addition of Stastny, I I think they're even stronger at uh, at the forward complement than they were last year. Yeah, I have to agree. And, and it's solely based on the fact that like, you know, last season, Thomas Tatar could couldn't really get into the lineup. And I think he's a very capable player. I think without Neil and Perron, the immediate reaction is to think that this team is somehow weaker. Uh, but I think they're just getting younger, if anything. And Stastny adds uh, some important veteran leadership that they lose in, in Neil and Perron leaving. Um, but then I, th- I think overall, they're a stronger team for it. There's so many options. You you said it. They can play it how you want it. Uh, Tomas Heike could compete. Brandon Peary could play as well. Um, so how everything shakes up 
on the bottom. I think the coaching staff is going to have a tough selection process here for to get down to 23 guys uh, for the start of the season uh, for opening night. And it starts with the forwards. Um, but those difficult decisions are going to carry over defensively, too, uh, especially with Nate Schmidt being suspended. Now, if you had a, a, an eligible Nate Schmidt, he would be your top pairing guy with uh, Braden McNabb. Instead, it's going to be Derek Anglin slotting in there. Uh, going to be, I think, Shea Theodore, uh, assuming they get him under contract. I'm not really expecting that holdout to last too much longer. I would expect he wants to be in camp, but we'll see. Uh, he'll be with Colin Miller. You've got Nick Holden, John Merrill, and Brad Hunt kind of rounding out the less rest of the group um it'll be interesting to see ultimately uh, how they recover now as far as additional options you know this was a team that they talked about took too many defensemen right in the in the draft uh they have griffin reinhardt uh, in the system as well he could compete for minutes here uh and so we'll kind of see what they do i think for as deep as they supposedly were last season at defense they now find themselves that way at forward yeah, and but boy, to me, the defensive side of the puck is a bit of a concern here. You mentioned the suspension and the holdout with two of their projected top six guys. That's a bit of a concern, and they got to get that righted. You don't want to give teams, other teams, veteran teams in this loop a chance to get a jump on you early in the season because sometimes you don't make that up, and so it's incumbent on them to get their house in order on the blue line. The guy that I really like here, I talked about him all year long, is Colin Miller very skilled player 25 years old coming into his own with a great opportunity last year he made the most of it and had a great season in vegas i think he's one of their signature players on the back end Braden mcnab another guy who has a big shot and they made it uh, took full advantage of the opportunity there he'll get a chance to play bigger minutes this season particularly in the early going and he's uh, built to carry it at 6'4 210 pounds i think he's a chance to do much better than the 15 points that he produced last season so that's where the upside is on this blue line nick holden is a guy they got out of the new york rangers situation and i think he has a chance to have a uh, a fine uh, run here in Vegas. He'll get a chance to play top six minutes. Another guy that fits the mold of a big mobile defenseman. I like him that way. And so there's three guys in the mix that I think really bode well for the Vegas franchise. But it's it's how soon they acclimatize uh, the rest of the group and maybe get Theodore signed. That'll go a long way. But they're going to really miss uh, Nate Schmidt, I do believe, here. And then uh, in the goaltending mix, well, you mentioned your guy, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, signing the three-year exp- extension he was uh, all that vegas could hope for and more in terms of the net mining situation and then they got a real break when they picked malkin suban up to be the backup goalie so it's in very good hands very capable hands here the goaltending mix in in vegas as long as these two guys stay healthy but we saw what happened last year didn't we aj when they went four and five deep into the goalie mix here so that's not a given uh, based on the recent history of both these guys and you just hope that for vegas's sake that they do stay healthy but to me it represents a bit of a question mark uh, just because that they had to go so deep into their depth and i don't know if they come out of it uh, the same way as they they did last season if that happens again yeah, it, I don't I don't foresee them being able to, you know, take uh, take that kind of ride again. Uh, Subban, I think, will obviously be the backup, uh, barring any sort of setbacks here. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Legacy Foucault uh, and there's also Dylan Ferguson. They've got him 
on an entry level deal uh, for for long term as well. So there's a number of guys. Oscar Dansk is as well. This team is surprisingly stacked in the nets um, and they needed every bit of it last season. So we'll see how that all kind of shakes out. Um, I do want to take a quick sidetrack and, and ask for for your opinion. Paul, does does first ever signing for the Vegas Golden Knights, Reed Duke, ever play a game for this team, do you think? I'm I'm leaning towards no right now. I don't see where he would fit in forward-wise. They've got two more years on his entry-level deal. But for me, uh, it doesn't look like their their signature, their, their trivia answer, first player to ever sign for Vegas, uh, is ever going to play for them, in my, in my opinion. I think you're right there. This is going to be one of the better trivia questions. Uh, maybe we should pose that one to our friend uh, Daniel Negrano, uh, certainly one of the bigger boosters of the Vegas Golden Knights and a, a friend of our show when we get together to see if he'll remember that name. We'll kind of keep it in the bands if, he, if he's not paying attention to today's first episode. Uh, <laughs> and now we have to give a nod to our friends at FanDuel, AJ, before we go much further. During the course of the regular season, we'll be playing fantasy uh, DFS hockey with uh, FanDuel's platform, the best in the business for my money. I've had a lot of fun with it in the baseball season. I expect to with hockey again and the football season around the corner. So plenty to look forward to in terms of the DFS component of our show when we get to that. But uh, a special nod to our friends at FanDuel. Take advantage of their offers by signing up uh, today at FanDuel.com slash RW. Uh, the contests are void where prohibited, but boy, if you get a chance to play them, you can play for as cheap as like 25 cents and enjoy setting up your lineup on a nightly basis at FanDuel. And with that now, we make uh, the closing segment of our show uh, an interesting one every year, AJ. When we put our mouths and money behind the finishing order of the standing here. Uh, predicted final standings for this group. From your perspective, who do you see uh, taking the division and how's the rest of it shaking out? Yeah, this one for me, uh, this is a tough division to figure out, to be perfectly honest with you. There's there's a ton of uh, veteran teams. There's some inexperienced teams that could compete. Uh, I think the only thing that I'm really assured of, uh, not to go out of order here, but the only thing I'm really positive on is that Vancouver and Arizona are going to come in in seven and eighth. I'm going to give Vancouver the edge. But at the top, I'm going to stick with Vegas. I think if Marc-Andre Fleury can stay healthy, I, I we talked about feeling like that forward complement is better. Uh, obviously, the, the defense is a little shaky, but they didn't have kind of a signature defenseman really last season. Um, if they can get Shea Theodore signed, uh, I think they'll be just fine. So I've got Vegas first. I've got Edmonton coming in at second. Uh, whether Cam Talbot can bounce back or not, I think it isn't really that big of a factor in where this club is going to finish. They have Connor McDavid. They have Leon Dreisaitl. If they need to bring in somebody else or give the reins to Al Montoya, I think they will. Uh, this is not a club that's going to miss the playoffs again another season, in my opinion. From there, I'm going to go with Anaheim. I like how they're, that's a very even keel team. Uh, I'll go with San Jose as fourth. That could easily flip. I could see that happening. Uh, I like what Calgary is starting to do, despite the fact that I still am not convinced on Mike Smith. I'll, I'll <laughs> plant my flag in that one, and uh, you can bury me on that hill. But uh, I think the rest of the team has definitely gotten better, and I see some upside there. I like the James Neal addition, uh, particularly. L.A., as I said, I'm not sold on that forward depth. I think it's a little weak. I think Dion Phaneuf is, is a 
is a bad contract. Uh, they're paying him way too much for what they're going to get. Even if it's a good role, as you outlined, I, I don't see this club uh, doing much. And then, as I said, from there, I'll go Vancouver slightly over Arizona. Uh, I like a few of the pieces with Vancouver a little more than Arizona. I think they're a little ahead in terms of development. So uh, that's how I broke it down. Uh, Vegas, Edmonton, Anaheim with the auto locks. And I think San Jose picks up one of the wild cards. Well, you know what? This was a tough division for me to handicap, and it shows because I have a lot of differences of opinion from you, and it makes a good food for fodder down the road when we compare uh, how the season does turn out for these teams. There'll be a lot of discussion points uh, when we review this division. I'm going to go with L.A. at the top, A.J. I like the addition of Kovalchuk, a uh, proven scorer wherever he's been. And don't forget, he there's not as many miles on him as some other guys his age playing in a lighter schedule in the KHL. So I think he comes back with something to prove and some gas in the tank in L.A. And he gets a top six role uh, to solidify that group offensively. And really, the, the strength of this team is on the defensive side of the puck. So they've improved offensively, in my opinion. Certainly, they got a little bit longer in the tooth. But not, their signature players are still south of the 35 years of age where things tend to drop off. So I think there's still one more kick at the can here. And they take full advantage going right to the top of the ladder. And and they hold off a team that shocked the world last year in the Vegas Golden Knights. I think they're still good for second place pick in my estimation. I just think there's too much skill offensively, too much quality in goal with Flurry backed by Subban and a defense that if they can get it righted will hold off the rest of the pretenders in this division. San Jose Sharks, another team that you might I might classify as looking for that last kick at the can like L.A., they are, uh, for me, the auto-lock pick in the third role here, and Anaheim should factor in to one of the wild-card positions. I could flip these two around to match what you did, but I'll stick with San Jose third and Anaheim fourth. And, and I'm, I'm still uh, doubting Edmonton. I just don't think this team learned, has learned how to play the defensive side of the game, and it's going to be to their detriment, and I'm going to hold it against them until they prove me wrong. Uh, they're going to be on the outside looking in just because of question marks on defense and in goal now, where there wasn't one last year at this time with Cam Tal, but there certainly is now. So I haven't got enough faith to put them into a playoff situation like you did. Uh, Calgary Flames, a team that is in transition, trying to find their way and uh, rebuild, I guess, a little bit from the net out they've got question marks uh, to my mind mike smith can they squeeze another year out of him i don't know because i don't like the quality of the defense that is playing in front of him as much as i did in years past i think they really took a hit defensively the way this team looks right now and then the seventh and eighth spots i flipped uh, arizona i gave them the nod as the seventh place team uh, to eke out uh, that spot over vancouver in a who cares segment of the race <laughs> in this division uh, but uh, teams that will definitely be on the outside looking in and they're in rebuild mode in arizona and vancouver to round it out well aj that ends up uh, the first episode of podcast it's great to be back and if you have any closing comments before i wind it up sir yeah, I would just uh, a bit of breaking news. I, I realize we're a podcast, so people aren't listening to us live. Um, but in case you're not totally tuned in yet, Blake Wheeler signed uh, a five year, forty one point two five million dollar contract extension. Uh, so he'll play for five point six uh, this year. And then after that, he's going to be making eight point two five for another five years after that. So a uh, big deal for them. You know, uh, obviously Winnipeg wanted to get him locked in long term, and it looks like they've done that. 
And it's a pretty team-friendly contract on my first uh, initial reaction there. So a good move for the Jets to lock him up. And really, uh, he's a linchpin to what they're doing. We'll talk a bit more about them. And uh, a really nice segue, AJ, when you think about the fact that we'll be profiling the Central Division of the National Hockey League, a seven-team loop next week. And we may have a couple other surprises in store for that episode. We uh, wind up this one, though, and we're happy to be back for that third year. Uh, reminding all of our listeners to follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. We hope you enjoyed this show, and keep an eye out for that Central Division preview next Tuesday. As always, we invite you to listen to get our te- tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning for the upcoming season. So long, everybody. 